Jane is an all-in-one practice management software that can help you manage your practice with a suite of features that make it easy to meet with individuals, couples, families, and more. Here on Am I a Bad Therapist, we know that two of the most important things to us as therapists are confidentiality and our time. Thankfully, Jane understands that reliability and security are very important parts of running a private practice. Jane's cloud-based software is accessible wherever you have Wi-Fi, and their team is always ready to lend a helping hand. Jane is HIPAA and PEPITA compliant, and your data is stored safely in the country you practice in. So no matter where or how you practice, Jane's always with you in the most secure and helpful way possible. Not only does Jane help us protect our clients, but they help us protect our time too with features like calendar syncing, note templates, online booking, and they have automated reminders and workflows. Which you know we love on Am I a Bad Therapist? And you can learn more at jane.app slash mental health. You can also mention the code bad therapist for a one month grace period on your new Jane account. Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. And while we're not the gatekeepers for good and bad therapy, because we're bad therapists too, we are here to shine a light on the difficult decisions therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. So, Catherine, I don't know how you thought about your career when you were in grad school, but I always said that I would never go into private practice. And jokes on me, I now own my own private practice. Uh, I might have a bigger joke because I never, never in a million years thought I'd become a clinical psychologist. And then when I started my grad program, never in a million years did I think I'd practice as a clinical psychologist. And here I am fully practicing as a clinical psychologist. It's funny how life turns out that way, huh? It is. And today, this is all relevant because we're going to hear from Joanna, who talks about how she always had the goal right away of going into private practice for herself and how sometimes our field, our programs make us feel like that's not a possibility and that we have to, you know, uh, go through some like rings or hierarchy or any of those experiences and that it almost feels like it's wrong to go into private practice right away. Right. And so we talked to Joanna and we hear about how she not only secured a private practice internship, but how she grew from it. And we explore why it's important to consider all private practice settings or all settings when you think about internship and practicum. And just as a reminder, as always, we are not supporters of actual bad therapy, like going into private practice without supervision if you're not licensed. So just a reminder that this is not a substitute for clinical supervision, ethical consultation, or therapy itself. All right. Well, this is episode number 64 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. Well, Joanna, welcome to the podcast. 
Hi, thank you for having me. We are so excited to talk to you today, but before we do, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So my name is Joanna. I'm a therapist in the southeastern region of Pennsylvania in Berks County. Um, I've been a therapist for about a year. I completed my graduate program last May of 2022. And so I'm currently pursuing licensure as a licensed professional counselor in Pennsylvania once I accumulate, you know, all the hours and stuff. Um, I specialize in working with adults, treating anxiety related issues like OCD, perfectionism, social anxiety, people pleasing, codependency, and so on. That's amazing. So you are still working towards your hours, but you are here today to tell us about a situation or experience that made you feel like a bad therapist. You want to dig into that? Sure. I mean, in, in true anxious perfectionist fashion. I was concerned about being a bad therapist before I was even close <laughs> to being a therapist. <laughs> and so this starts for me in grad school, in entering grad school. I mean, I had a picture in my head of the kind of therapist that I wanted to be. And so for me, that long-term goal was being a private practice therapist, you know, eventually having my own private practice, potentially a group practice. That was always what I pictured, me in my own little office, <laughs> doing one-to-one -one sessions. And then once I got to grad school, I realized that private practice is not something that is talked about a whole lot. It's not encouraged. It's not necessarily discouraged, but it's almost like omitted, if that makes sense. <laughs> There's definitely a lot yeah. more that's talked about in like an agency type setting, you know, uh, community mental health, and the whole private practice sector is kind of ignored. Yeah. And I would also have to say a lot of the training experiences, not only talked about in school and in education, but the training experiences for a multitude of reasons do tend to be centered in the community-based mental health and not in private practice. And that probably contributed to lack of knowledge and awareness about, about that field. Sure. And I obviously can't speak to all the graduate programs across the country, but at least for mine, it's very much geared towards preparing you to work in a specific type of setting and not necessarily preparing you to work in a private practice setting, if, if that's what you desire. And even, even the internship portion of the program, most of the approved sites that were readily available to, to contact we're falling into that community mental health category, and there were not a lot of private practice pre-approved settings that would be easy, you know, to kind of build that relationship with. Yeah, I feel like even in my graduate program, it almost like they talked about it, it as like, oh, yeah, like that's way, way, way down the road. It's like if you get there, like if you want to do it. And I felt like it wasn't talked about really beyond that in my program. So I agree with you. It always felt like it was just like something way off in the distance. And then it wasn't talked about like how you get there necessarily. Definitely not about like how to make it happen. Um, it's so interesting. So you were kind of getting that feedback. It sounds like you were thinking about your sites. What happened next? So, I mean, I, when I started my program, it's, it's, I had my vision, but I kind of was naive in thinking that that was like everybody's desire. <laughs> like I thought everybody wanted to go into private practice. And so once I started my program and I met all of my classmates and I realized, you know, these people are either currently in different settings or have the desire to go into different settings. And it felt like it was only private practice. And maybe this was just 
pressure that I put on myself that I felt almost insecure that I wanted to pursue private practice and not start somewhere else. Because like you said, Mm. it felt like this thing that you have to work up towards, like you have to earn (laughs) the right to get into private practice. And sometimes that was even reinforced by certain things that were said by some of like my professors. You recall anything like that? Or at least maybe I know that, you know, culture is shifted or shaped by artifacts that are known and unknowns. Like I know some of this is also how we interact with the topic and that Mm -hmm. we can't necessarily pinpoint words, but do you remember anything that you can point to that made you feel, Ooh, that does make me feel like private practice is out of reach while you were learning about it in grad school? I do. So there was one, there was one statement that was made and it's interesting because, so I'm a, I'm a military spouse. So my husband's in the military and I had a teacher who made a comment about how you need to have boots on the ground before you can even consider going into private practice. And so as a military spouse, I'm very familiar with that, like jargon, (laughs) you know, and it's interesting to hear it applied to something like mental health. Joanna, tell us, what did you hear in that in that statement? What did you hear? What was the implied message? You have to have boots on the ground before you get private practice. To me, it was like, you need to suffer. <laughs> it was like, you need to experience the hardships of being overworked and burnt out and all of that before you deserve to be in private practice. And that was so interesting to me because if you look up the definition of like, what does boots on the ground really mean? And, you know, I found this definition that's people who are physically present in a place doing the work to achieve something. And by that standard, you know, people in all types of environments for mental health are doing the work to achieve something. We are the boots on the ground. Absolutely. We are in combat. I don't know if I've ever heard it that defined in that way. I love it. I feel like that's so profound. I'm glad that you looked it up and you're like, wait, but this applies to what I want too. Yeah. Like I'm still doing the work, even if I'm in Mm -hmm. a group practice versus a community mental health setting. So what what we're really doing here is is distancing ourselves from the implication that boots on the ground involves pain, conflict, and suffering. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is boots on the ground is just do- walking, doing the good work, um, being there, being present, right? It's not suffering and paying your dues. That's really cool. Right. And part of my insecurity during my my grad school time was that, you know, everybody gets into therapy because generally speaking, we want to help. <laughs> you know, we want to do the work. We want to make a difference in our community, in the world. And part of me was feeling like, Am I doing something wrong by only having this vision of private practice? You know, am I not doing the good work if I don't first go into some community mental health agency? Let's pause here for a quick ad break. By the way, the number one support for those of us asking ourselves, am I a bad therapist? Are clinical consultation groups. If you don't have one yet, join us on the Teletherapist Network for unlimited peer consultation groups, including a lot of different specialty groups like clinicians of color, LGBTQ+, couples counseling, EMDR. And of course, Creativity in the Clinical Room hosted by me, Allie. Plus masterclasses, media leads, and everything else you need for an ethical, modern clinical practice. Join us at teletherapistnetwork.com. 
Hey listeners, it's Catherine here, and I'm coming to you today because Allie's not the best at bragging on herself. And I want to remind you all that she has an incredible resource available for free at our website, cccs.care. Allie's Creative Intervention Library is full of easy interventions that even non-art therapist clinicians like me can use with clients of all ages. Every intervention has a list of materials, an entire process video where you watch Allie doing it, and a written description and steps so you can follow along at home. Plus, she even has a list of diagnoses that might find this creative intervention helpful. So if you want to access a totally free library of interventions for when you feel stuck with clients, check out Allie's website, cccs.care, and sign up for free today. And now let's circle back to the show. You know, one thing that hasn't come up yet, and I'm surprised because I think it's kind of underlying all of this, is the money talk. Um, You know, because... Was there any talk about the money differentials between community-based mental health and private practice? Because I know that for a lot of therapists, there is that guilt that you are doing the good work. You are doing good work. You know that. You see that in your clients. But you're receiving more for the same boots on the ground as someone else. Um, Was that ever talked about or how did that sit with you? It really wasn't. (laughs) It really wasn't talked about a whole lot in school. I think not until the very end of my program did I start to have more of those conversations with other professors about their experience in private practice and the money differentials. And, you know, money is one of those taboo topics, like you can't want to help people and also make a living. But the reality is, we have Mm -hmm. to. And, you know, for me, I started grad school when I was right before my 28th birthday, which was I was a little bit older than some of my <laughs> some of my classmates who were starting straight out of their undergrad. And so I started grad school with a, a family. I'm I married. I have two young kids. And like I mentioned earlier, my husband's in the military. So for me, I, I have this mindset of like, if we have to up and move, like my long term goal is to be in my own private practice so that I'm portable. <laughs> if I need to be. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I have the flexibility of I have young kids. And so if they're Mm -hmm. sick, I need to I need to come home, I need to cancel. And I just knew that that wasn't going to be an option for me in a different type of setting. Yeah. So with those thoughts, Joanna, how did that then go into thinking about placement for internship? It sounds like you said like, at least in my program, we had like a literal like binder of like placements you could flip through and like look through. And I remember looking through those. You could get another site approved if you wanted something different. Did you – what were your thoughts? Did you feel pressured into picking something that was already approved? Did you pursue what you wanted in private practice? How did that work out? Yeah. So we had the same – we had like a two-page front and back sheet of pre-approved things from previous years. And most of them – I don't know if there was one – private practice on there. But the funny thing is when I started practicum, it was COVID. It was COVID time. And so pretty much everywhere was like not taking anyone new. A lot of places were completely closed. They were only doing telehealth. So it was a stressful time trying to find a practicum internship site. I got what I would say is very, very lucky. I did find a very local 
um, group practice and I was able to meet with the owner and she accepted me for my practicum and I ended up staying there for my practicum, both of my internships, and I actually still work there. What a great fit. And that you had to take the initiative to go. How did you find this practice for listeners out there, students who might be saying, I want a private practice practicum. How did you find it? What did you do? I honestly just was Googling <laughs> like like counselors near me, you know, counselors and, and my location and nearby locations. And I was emailing people, calling people. I got a lot of people who said, sorry, we're close. Like we're just not open. <laughs> you know, around that COVID time. And the place where I ended up going, I actually, one of my classmates have, has like a distant relationship with the owner. And I just happened to mention it in passing, like, oh, I had contacted this place, but I didn't hear back. And she was like, oh, that's my, my husband's aunt. And she was able to link us so I could get that response. And then she called me in for an interview. And I'm very happy there because I'm still there. Oh, you know what you did? You kept talking about it. I love it. You put it out into the universe and you kept talking about it and a random connection made it happen. That's mm -hmm. great, Joanna. I love it. So what was your experience like? And I know, you know, you had all private practice in your training, but what was your experience like compared to your peers? Did you have different training experiences while completing school and internship and practicum? Compared to my peers, so that's where I, when I said I started to realize that everybody was in these different settings and that was fine. So I had classmates who were in like drug and alcohol treatment centers. I had classmates who were at like our local LGBT nonprofit center. And we had people in the prison system, in the healthcare system. Like there was, everybody was just so diverse in where they were uh, doing their training. And once I realized that, I think that started to help the insecurity with like, I would never judge any of them <laughs> for the setting that they choose. You know, why am I judging myself? Why am I experiencing this insecurity as if it's okay for them to be where they're at, where they're needed versus where I'm at and where I'm needed? Yeah. And do you feel like there was that fear of judgment in your mind, like that your peers or professors would think differently or judge you for choosing to go into private practice? Like what else was going on in your mind? There was, there was definitely that fear of judgment because I honestly had such a good experience. And so during my internship classes and I would share that, and then I would hear from some of my other peers that not that they were having a bad experience, but just a different experience. You know, the supervision wasn't that good, you know, or they didn't feel like they were getting what I was getting out of my supervision. And so I did worry that there was this sense of judgment, like, you know, that back to that boots on the ground thing, like, well, you should be starting mm -hmm. here, you should be starting where everybody else typically might start at this stage of the game. You think there, there, you picking up on their perceptions changed any of your decisions? Who my classmates? Yours? Yeah, yeah, changed your decisions. Uh, no, because you know what, as even though I felt that perceived judgment, like that wasn't real. <laughs> Nobody, I went to school with a great group of people and most of my teachers, you know, were also great and there really wasn't the judgment. And so I just got more settled into this is what I want to do. This is what I meant to do. And that's okay. It's okay for the people who never want to pursue private practice. Like that's fine that's fine too. I support them and I'm happy for them. And, you know, therapists are needed 
everywhere in all settings. Mm-hmm. I Absolutely. love that this went from this perceived judgment from others to recognizing that it's really your own judgment of yourself Absolutely. that you need to work with. I love that, Joanna. And I just want to say, for those of you who are in private practice, you can also change your mind. I have changed my mind in and out of private practice several times. And like, it's not the end all be all goal that you stay at either. It can change. It can look different ways. Sure. And it doesn't have to be the goal for everyone. And that's what I had to tell myself. Like, if it's the goal for me, that's okay, because that's what fits with my season of life that I'm in, you know, the season with young kids, the season with potentially having to move around the country. This is what I need at this time in my life and and someone else might not, and they may never pursue private practice. And like I said, you know, that's totally fine. It's really that inner perceived judgment. It's not, it's not as much from other people. Now, I'm curious, I know maybe it might have been different because this was during COVID, so it might not be relevant, but did you get any feedback um, about like that you should switch things up like after your practicum or internship? Because I'm asking because I found um, a practicum site and I had the best experience, the best supervisor, like the most amazing experience. And I stayed there practicum in both my um, semesters of internship. And I got a lot of feedback of like, well, that's cool, but like you should try another setting. And I was very adamant. I was like, I absolutely love it here. I feel so supported. I feel like I'm growing so much. I don't want to, and I didn't, but I felt like I got like kind of pushed back on that from my own program. I'm curious if either Catherine or Joanna, if either of you experienced that in your um, decisions and where your placements. So that's interesting because I told myself before I started, like, I'm going to do practicum somewhere and then I'm going to do internship somewhere because I want to diversify my experience and see what's out there and maybe have two different types of settings and and see what I like. But I think COVID really did play a huge role in that. It was hard enough to find my practicum site. And because I had such a good experience and it kind of solidified what I already knew I wanted, you know, if she... My, my supervisor said she would keep me and I was like, okay, <laughs> let's do it. I'm not even going to rock the boat here because this is a good thing and I want to hold on to it. I think all education programs might be a little different, but clinical psychologists, we are required to go to different sites and different training sites, but we also have more years, fortunately or unfortunately, to do it over. So um, for those of you psychologists out there, we've had a couple of different, I think it's required at least two different settings. Um, But there is flexibility in that, which is nice because all of our interests do vary so much. And when you find something that clicks, you know, it doesn't happen often, especially when you're in school, you know, and to find that you know, and be forced out of it. My goodness. Yeah, definitely. Now, Joanna, if we were to ask you, like, if you were looking back or if a clinician or a student was experiencing something similar to this, what would you say to them? What advice would you give? So if a student was considering, you know, doing, let's say their practicum internship at private practice or going right into uh, group practice or private practice upon graduation, I would absolutely tell them to just go for it, you know, to whatever inner critic voices in there telling them differently that if that's what they want to do to just go ahead and do it because there's nothing wrong with going into private practice, whether that's some states, I know you can uh, do private practice before your license. Some states you can't. So whether it's a group practice or private practice, if that's what you want, just go ahead and do it (laughs) because... There's no shame in where you are choosing 
to start your career. Therapists are needed in every single setting. I love that you're really focusing on the setting of the private practice, because I know we might get some people questioning, well, you can't go into private practice because you're not experienced enough. But we really want to distinguish you're not you're not practicing without supervision, right? Like, of course, you're in a setting, right? You're working towards your hours. This is private practice as part of supervised work that is so needed and important and, and, and growing for you, too, um, that, you, of course, you're growing with supervision. Like, this is not <laughs> unsupervised by yourself private practice. I I just want to distinguish it. Right. Of course. Like it's just, I could imagine it might, it might be different, you know, the supervision that you're getting, whether it's the group supervision or individual supervision, but of course you are as a new clinician, you are going to be under someone's supervision, no matter what setting you end up in. I would almost wager a bet that perhaps in some private practice settings, supervisees almost maybe, I would say, probably get more support than in other other settings, more supervision, more consultation, because it is private practices do tend to be more of that intimate atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, I have nothing to compare it to, but I would I would agree even just from my graduate courses, you know, when I would interact with my classmates who were in a different internship setting. And I had quite a few people who, you know, were, would be upset about the type of supervision they were getting because they weren't getting that one-to-one mm-hmm. attention. They might only have group supervision with three other interns. Whereas, and, and this probably added to some of my self-judgment and guilt where I felt like, well, here I am <laughs> having this ah. wonderful experience, getting this individualized uh-huh. supervision and consultation with a few other therapists that are at this practice where some of my peers were were not getting that in the agencies or the the places that they were at. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about not only how you got your private practice practicum and internship, but why it was so beneficial for your career. I hope everyone else listening gets inspired by this. And also private practice owners, you think about supporting the next generation of therapists. Let's get some internships, practicum slots, supervisions. Let's go. So um, thank you, Joanna, so much. No, thank you guys for having me. Of course. And if our listeners wanted to connect with you outside of the podcast, where can they find you? So I am on Instagram. Uh, my handle is findjoy underscore with Joanna. That's amazing. Well, we will link that in our show notes, of course. Um, and like Catherine said, thank you so much for sharing this. It's such a good conversation around it. I love the positivity and that you have found what worked for you. I feel like that's just the message we always need. So thank you so much for sharing it with us. Yeah, of course. Thank you. And that's it. The OG bad therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for the week make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast or wanting to level up the one you already have, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air for Effect. And don't forget, we're all bad therapists. <laughs>